there and welcome back to another episode of Thanks Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and today on the podcast, I get to share with you a fun conversation that I had with Tiffany from The Speech Tribe, if you know her on Instagram. I love Tiffany's Instagram, by the way. She has always inspired me in the field of speech pathology with all of her great materials and toys that she shares, and she shares how to use them, which is always so helpful for me. Sometimes I find myself scrolling her feed um, before a therapy session to see if I can get any inspiration for my plan that day. I love it. I love her. I love what she's about to share with us as far as how she got into the field, her why, which is such a powerful story, and what she does as a pediatric SLP. So here we go. Hello, Tiffany. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Thanks for joining us. <laughs> good. Wonderful Saturday. I know we're three hours apart right now, so it's still my morning, but good afternoon to you. <laughs> yes, good afternoon. <laughs> um, yeah, it's raining here, so it's a very interesting Saturday here. Oh, wow. It's gloomy yeah. here. Today's like our last day of nice, actual, almost fall weather in Southern California. We're going to go back to the 90s oh. tomorrow. Right. So fun. So <laughs> just like enjoying perfect Halloween weather. It's exactly. It's like, oh yeah, real scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm just so grateful to have you here and get to hear your story and talk about what you do as a speech pathologist. Um, so thank you again for coming on and sharing with us. I'd like to just turn turn it over to you and have you explain um, your why, your reason for being a speech pathologist and where you're working, where you've kind of, you know, where you started and all those things. So yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, I'm Tiffany. I'm from the Speech Tribe. Um, I chose to be a speech pathologist because of my sister. Um, originally, my plan, I always wanted to be a teacher and then I discovered what speech pathology was and I was like, well, this is what my sister needs. And so um, my sister, she's four years older than me. And when she was 10 days old, she had a stroke because of E. coli sepsis. And so she went into multi-organ failure and um, it's been a very long road for her. She's had, I think it's over 45 surgeries now in her life, but um, she is like, she's beaten all the odds. She's done all the things they said she would never do. And um, she's just amazing. So she's my why she's what I always think of. And her communication style is very unique. Um, she has aphasia and apraxia, but she never had a baseline because this all happened in infancy. So the way she communicates is very unique. And so I always was thinking about her in undergrad and graduate school. And so that kind of was my, I don't know. I think everyone kind of has someone they think of when you're in class of like, oh, is that what they do? Um, so she was my person. Um, and so she's who I think of on the hard days and all through COVID. That's who I think of. It's like, well, she's the reason I do this. And there's lots of hers out there that I need to take care of. So um, I went to Appalachian State for undergrad and graduate school. I love Appalachian. Um, it's in Boone, North Carolina. So it's a beautiful mountain city if anyone ever wants to go to the mountains. Um, and there we didn't get to pick our placement. So I got a lot of experience in different places from like a correctional facility to a NICU. Um, and so eventually I ended up choosing a private practice outpatient with peds and originally going in, I wanted to work with adults. I didn't want to work with peds. Um, but they won me over. I got pulled to the dark side. Um, so now that's where I work now. Um, I finished my CFY in March yeah, March. So just a little over a year of working now, but I love it. I love that so much. And it's just, 
it's so awesome that, you know, you're obviously you have your sister to inspire you through it. And like you said, like when the times get rough, I know we've all hit that with COVID and we've gotten really stressed out. A lot of us as selfies, Mm -hmm. um, to have just that. I mean, obviously we think about like, remember your why, like, don't forget. And I know I've been there when I'm struggling with technology over teletherapy. I'm like, but why am I here? Like why, you know, what do I love about this? And just, it's, it's so important to remember. And so I'm, you know, to have your sister, that's just so heartwarming and special. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, cause I, I know it's very yeah, near and dear course. to your heart. Yeah. Yes, she is. She's, it's very interesting cause I grew up with her too. And so I'm younger than her. So she's just always been a constant, but I also am like a parent. Um, but I'm not a parent. So it's very interesting too, when I communicate with families of like, I get some things, I don't get some things, but like we can relate on some areas, um, but then there's some that I can't. So it's very interesting, but yeah. Yeah. And it just, I think it brings a whole new perspective for probably for you as a SLP, but just when you, when you do like have just any conversation with somebody, you have this different, um, different perspective, which I think is just so Mm -hmm. amazing. So yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I love it. you got pulled over to the dark side with beads, yes. um, which is just, it's, it's crazy. I always, this is why I tell grad students, like when they ask me like, well, what's a good setting for me to start out in? I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just enjoy your, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. enjoy your externships, um, take in all the information really, you know, I mean, I always go back to reflect on what you're learning and, and what really resonates with you in those moments of learning, because you could really drastically change your mind. I never, I never thought I'd be a preschool SLP. I always thought like I would be somewhere with like, you know, elementary aged kids, but even like to middle Mm -hmm. school, I thought that was kind of where I'd hang around. And um, here I am like going, you know, preschool's the best. So, oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's just, you never know. Um, so yeah, I was the same way. I thought I would work with adults with disabilities. You know, that was my, my yeah. niche and that was my first placement. And so I was like, yes, this is my thing. And then I was placed in a preschool classroom my second semester. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. I think I like this. Um, and you'll know too, you, when you're in grad school, you'll figure it out. Like, you'll just get that feeling of like, this is what's making me happy. This is what's giving me joy. This is what's making me feel motivated. This is where I need to be. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I always, um, I don't, I haven't shared as much. I try to share more about, you know, and be a little bit more vulnerable about my first year of grad school. I was going through like a lot of hard stuff in life outside of grad school yeah. when we were doing our clinics and my, um, I had my autism clinic my second semester. And I also had my um, speech sound clinic where I worked with I, both clinics. I worked with two little boys um, and my, my, uh, in my autism clinic, the little boy had very severe needs. He was apraxic. He was nonverbal. Um, and I could forget everything going on in life. Like, and I was just there and so present with him. And that kind of showed me like the population that I was like, just really like resonated with and could really, it just clicked. Like you said, like you just Mm kind of know, um, you know, and, and now I work in, you know, an inclusion program with children that we're working on, you know, it's kind of, it, it's taken me back to that um, with, you know, very severe needs, but also, you know, some that have more mild needs, but it's just, you know, it's really good for me to just be present with my, 
my little ones because preschoolers, regardless of if, you know, yeah. on paper they have mild needs, it's like, but they're still preschoolers. <laughs> they're still learning. Yeah, and they, yeah, they always want 100% of your attention <laughs> and they need 100% of your attention. Or if you turn your back, chaos will ensue. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, so Explain to us, I guess, just what a typical day for you looks like, maybe what goals you find yourself targeting on a weekly basis and things like that. Okay. So I I have to say that I absolutely love the clinic I work in. It was my dream job that I stumbled onto just because of the way it's set up and um, our team and our leadership is just incredible. Um, So I work four days a week from 830 to six. We're off on Fridays. That was a big whoop whoop for me. Um, And so I see about 10 to 12 kids a day for 30 minute sessions. Um, My caseload can be kind of split into fourths. So there's about a fourth only Arctic um, or phonology, a fourth language, a fourth feeding, and then the other fourth is some combination of the three. Um, So it's, it's definitely different every day. There's not a certain day where I only see one population. It's kind of mixed up. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much who I see. Um, Sorry. You're fine. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot I was on mute. And then I was like, wait, I can't. you're fine. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. So it's like, it, I mean, it's, you get a good like view of everything. Cause like, I, I don't work with feeding and it's still like, it still terrifies me. I won't lie. Um, yeah. I remember when I did my medical externship with adults, I had the wonderful opportunity, um, to the the facility I was it was like an inpatient rehab facility it's called Casa Colina out here in uh, Pomona in Southern California it's amazing and I know a lot of people some you know sometimes I'll say that and they're like oh wait that's a really great place because they have so you could they have inpatient they have um like uh like more of an intensive unit um for you know, surgical stuff. And then they have like med surge and then they have an outpatient right on site. And then they have a children's outpatient clinic right on site. So for the children's clinic, it's very like multi um, disciplinary where you get OT and PT and speech all in that little clinic. And it's the coolest place because, and I'm sure like you see this, like you, you know, you have the um, the sensory rooms, you have the feeding rooms, you have the speech rooms. And then there's like the rooms that everybody goes in, like during the bit, you know, just, you know, they'll have like big group sessions and play sessions. Mm-hmm. And stuff. I don't know. It's just, it was so cool, but I only got two days of experience in that. To oh, yeah. <laughs> so I remember being in the feeding um, with, with one of our clients that, you know, they were strictly working on feeding with. And I was like, I only got a snippet of of that. And so it kind of was a little bit scary. And, you know, and then Mm -hmm. I, now I'm in the school setting where we don't really touch that. I'll talk to like outside speech um, pathologists who are also working with my students about it, but that's not really an area I'll ever write a goal in, you know, in the schools and stuff like that. So it's like, I want to learn so much about it, but I, you know, I'm very much learned through application. So I'm like, I would need to be doing it at the same time. So definitely a goal of mine one day to get more comfortable and familiar with feeding. Um, and even now maybe just like kind of learn about it. Cause for my students where I could at least, you know, during snack time or something, just be like, 
oh, I don't know about that. You know, if teachers are (laughs) giving certain (laughs) things or doing certain things, because I know like they'll work on it and, you know, drinking from an open cup and stuff like that. But sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the child has some different needs going on that maybe are, you know, a little bit more challenging. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Feeding is a big interest of mine. And I completely blame the NICU for that. Um, (laughs) That was my final placement. Um, So the way our graduate program was set up is that you didn't get to pick your placements. They were assigned to you. Our school had contracts with different places. And so um, our wonderful internship coordinator, who I don't know how she was able to do it, but she would figure out where everyone needed to be to get their hours. And you got to choose your last placement because you would be there. There would be no coursework that semester. You would just be there five days a week, like an unpaid job, basically. Um, And so based on where you chose, she would choose your other placements to make sure you got all your hours. So I chose a children's hospital and I got to work in the NICU and the PICU. And um, I got a lot of feeding experience there because of that with, you know, infancy up to 21 years old. Um, So it, feeding is definitely a very, like, you have to be hands-on application to learn it. I think it's some, it's hard to learn without that experience because you can read about it and then this kid's doing something weird with their tongue and you're like I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this um so that's definitely a hands-on application thing so you should definitely go for it or seek some kind of experience because I I love it and I feel like it's hard not to love it once you get a taste of it really okay that's good to know because I think you know it's just it's like um I mean with anything you know you don't know about it so it's kind of like scary and you're almost like, well, then I won't worry about it. But I've learned in the last few years, especially as a speech therapist, where you don't know what's coming the next day. Sometimes with your kids, it's like, if you don't don't know, just jump in, like, just do, just Mm -hmm. try. So I'm kind of at that point with, um, with that, where I'm like, can I just need to find somebody to go observe and just, you know, just basically, yeah, you know, utilize my time that way for a a month or something where I can just get a good, yeah grasp but no that's- yeah and especially I feel like it's valuable too even though you're in the schools and you can't write goals I've got lots of kids that um you know we're sending those recommendations to school and they have a speech therapist at school but maybe the lunch uh duty person doesn't know how to look for signs of aspiration they don't have a designated person sitting with them so if there is a, a therapist at school that can help explain that information that I'm sending or the outpatient SLP ascending. I feel like that's helpful to, you know, ensure safety and carryover and keep everybody involved and collaborated. So, yeah, exactly. Like I've had, especially my first year working with preschoolers because snack time is such a big for preschool, you know, it's like snack time. It's a big social time. It's, you know, again, some of those kids come in with goals for the special education teachers to focus on like drinking from an open cup or self-feeding or things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, or they come in and, you know, mom has said, oh, in outside speech, you know, she's working on trying to taste yogurt. Um, and so they'll come and get me and, I, you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'll come observe them. You know, <laughs> like, I'll I, observe. <laughs> you know, I know like the basics, yeah. like uh, looking for, um, you know, overt and covert signs of aspiration and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes when it comes to like, I remember being in feeding clinic and being like, or not feeding clinic, um, observing feeding in the clinic when I was there. And I remember a lot of that, you know, the protesting when they didn't want to try and they moved their heads and stuff. And I had a little girl where they're like, oh, she didn't want to try the yogurt today, you know? And I remember talking to the SLP at Casa Colina who was like, well, you know, there's different things we can try and, and 
same as speech and language therapy. It's like being animated, making it fun. You know, I remember we put a kid in a swing and then work on the feeding there, you know, and making it just a fun experience because, you know, they had GERD. And so every time they ate, it wasn't fun. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> different things. Yeah. Those, those ones are always like, you, you poor little thing. I hate, you know, you can tell how much they are uncomfortable, but yeah, that's the biggest thing of feeding, whether, you know, just across the board is always just keep it positive and fun. I love that you put a kid in the swing to eat that. I love that. That was that. And that's part of why it's still, it's like in burned in my mind because I was like, this is so cool. Like to, to work on it that way. And I've always thought about that. And and I think it's a good lesson that I kind of learned and just kept um, because it's a good reminder for anything. Like, you know, if they're not Mm -hmm. comfortable or they don't like whatever's going on in the environment, let's change the environment. Right. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to, well, we're not going to change course too much, but I just want to touch on your Instagram, which I love because you'll post about some of your materials sometimes. I'm like, Ooh, I love that toy because I love working on, you know, like Mr. Potato Head. I love working on body parts and stuff, but then you always, I'll read your captions and you're always like, and for feeding or for, you know, this kind of, this uh, goal or whatever, you can work on this. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Um, So um, if you all don't know, Tiffany posts a lot of great things on her Instagram with so many great ideas. Um, it's like probably a good way. I should probably, you know, once we're back in seat with my kids, I'll start just, what am I going to do today? I'm going to check out Tiffany's Instagram. <laughs> That's my lesson. Oh my plan. goodness. That is so sweet. Um, no, oh goodness, I love it. So and it's so funny because sometimes, you know, I mean, I blame, I know everybody's blaming the Instagram algorithm right now, but sometimes I'm like, I haven't seen any ideas in a while and I'll, um, you know, I'll go look on your Instagram and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's posted like five and I, <laughs> I missed them, oh my goodness. but it's, it's so yeah. good. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of SLPs, like we learn so much from each other on that little app. Um, and it's so helpful. Yes. And so, you know, what, um, you know, just for people listening, what are some good materials or toys that you like your go-tos that you recommend to have for, especially for clinicians working with peds where you have those varying, you know, you have feeding goals and you also have language goals or people that do in home that are, you know, what can they bring or what can they utilize that the child might have for both of those kinds of goals? Yeah. So I always, I get asked this a lot. Um, and I think it's because just as speech therapists, we've chosen to work with children probably because we love toys. Um, there's a little child inside of ourselves that still wants to play with toys. Um, and so I own too many for that reason. Um, but I always just, I like, I somehow I came up with this like acronym of FOBS. You need a toy that you can feed a toy. You can open a toy that can build and a toy that scares or surprises. Um, those four things, those motivators, they're going to meet at least all, they should meet all of your kids. They're all going to be, um, engaged with feeding something or opening something, building something or the scaring toys, like greedy granny, those, that is the biggest hit in my room. And she scares me. I like, I (laughs) jump every time, but all my kids love her. Um, so you really don't need a zillion toys. If you have a toy that, you know, for each one of those categories, you should be good. So if you're going in home, just have one of those, that's four toys, or you could even double up like, um, you know, Mr. Potato Head is a toy you could feed or build. You could open him and hide things in there. Um, A lot of the scaring toys, like I like Shark Bite. Um, It's a shark that opens up and you pull the fish out. You could feed him, you could open him, or he could be used to scare. 
Um, so just think about the purpose of the toy and the motivator and think about it that way. You really just need about five toys. You don't need a lot. So I think that's my biggest advice to people starting out is don't feel like you need to go buy all of the fun, cool things. Like just wait until you meet your caseload and figure out what you need. Um, and a lot of those toys can be used motive for motivators for feeding therapy. Like if we're, you know, maybe feeding's not fun. Maybe they have GERD like you were talking about. And so um, we can play as we eat or, as, you know, let's eat this little bit and then we're going to take a break with the toy um, and building up tolerance for feeding. Um, but in terms of like feeding materials, I always have, you know, chewy tubes, Z-vibes, um, things like that. But the biggest tool for feeding is the parents. It's always the parents. Um, I know a lot of new clinicians sometimes are intimidated if you're not in early intervention and you don't have to work with the families it can be intimidating to have families in the room, especially because you're new and you feel new and you feel like everyone thinks you're new. No one knows you're new until you tell them that. Um, you know, they know that you're qualified because they're sitting in front of you. So don't be intimidated by them and use them because feeding is so important. Eating and mealtime, it's social. And it's, it's something I feel like every parent feels like I can at least feed my child. If I can't communicate with them, I can make sure their needs are met and that they're fed. And so when, there's an issue there. A lot of parents express, you know, guilt or what am I doing? What can I do better? Things like that. And so getting them involved and giving them something that they can feel successful with is the biggest thing for feeding. Yeah. And I, that is such a good point. If like no one knows you're new until you tell them, I think that is, <clears throat> can be such a barrier. And I know, I remember being in my, my CF year and I was, I, you know, I was young. I, I looked young and I was in my seat like I was my first it was my first year still being supervised um and I remember feeling like you know oh these parents are going to see me and think that I don't know what I'm talking about um and you know in IEP meetings and such and especially when you know like you said it's they're not there all the time in the schools um and then you get, you get in an IEP and I'm going over progress and a parent's like well they're doing that at home you know or whatever Mm mm-hmm um, so yeah, I think that I just, I don't know, that really, I, I really like that the way that you said that because we can, we, we went, you know, we, we did the work and we're still doing the work, yeah. and, you know, we're always learning and, um, it, uh, to make that connection with parents via feeding, I think is really cool too, because they can see that you're there to support them. Um, and that, you know, you you're willing to try new things too. If you are new, that's a great yeah. place to be sometimes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I had a, a conflict with a, well, not a conflict, but, um, early on in my CFY, there was a parent that there was a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding and my supervisor was helping me. And I said, I, I think it's because I'm so young and new. And I, I think that's why. And she said, I had a, a list of reasons why this is happening. And that was not on the list. You are the only one in this room who is thinking of that, Aww. you know? And I was like, I hadn't thought about it that way. She was like, when I look at you, I see six years of education and all of these hours that you've done and that you're here, that you being new and being a CF, most of your parents don't even know what that is. They just know you're the speech therapist. Mm -hmm. So I just, I really try to make sure new clinicians know that. Cause we all think that, like you said, you know, mm -hmm. it's in the back of our mind, like, well, we're new. They're not going to listen to us. We look young that, you know, but they, they don't, they're really not thinking that. Right. 
I 100% agree. Because yeah, I've never had a parent be like, well, you must just be new. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had blunt, I've had people be pretty blunt with me in IEP meetings, you know, and, and because they, I mean, I totally respect it. I'm like, well, you are your kids, you know, you, you are, you have your kids best interest at heart. I understand like, you know, we're a team and we'll work together, but I have had parents that are just, you know, they're, they're fighting for their kid and, um, but they've never, they've never once made me or actually said like, well, maybe you're just too young. <laughs> Or yeah, two. exactly. <laughs> so you're right. You know, we're probably the only ones thinking it. And it's, um, I, I mean, it's a valid, I, not to invalidate it. It's totally valid. We, you know, it's, but when yeah. you're not anything, you know, you're not obviously maybe the smartest person in the room or whatever it is. I've always heard like, you don't want to be. Um, it's always great to be in a state of learning and learn from those experiences. Yeah. And stuff. But that, you know, having that confidence, like, like it was your supervisor that had that list of reasons. Um, yeah. yeah she's like, like, I have a whole list of reasons and that was not one of them. Not one of them. Yeah. And, and I love that she pointed out, like, I see, you know, all the experiences you've had and um, being fresh out of grad school is such, it, it is so valuable because, and mm-hmm. I have one of, she's, she's now like one of my best friends, but one of the teachers I work with who has years of experience, you know, over me, especially in the preschool setting with special education and all of that. Um, when I first started working at our preschool site, you know, I was intimidated because I'd never worked with preschoolers. I really hadn't had a lot of experience besides my autism clinic with children with more severe needs. Um, and I one day admitted to her, like, you know, cause we had some pretty impacted kids and I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And I know you guys are, you know, the experts here. And, um, I was like, I just hope I'm doing okay by the kids. Like I hope. And she was like, why are you saying that you're doing amazing? Like the kids love you. You're building great rapport with the families. I'm like, I don't know. Just sometimes I'm at a loss for what to do. And I, and I said it, I said, I know I'm new. And she's like, you're, you just like, you just graduated a year and a half ago. And she's like, when I see a grad student, I see all the most, like the freshest information, like the best, you know, the, the newest therapy techniques, the newest technology, like you have so much to bring to the table. Why are you putting yourself down? Um, and, and she still says it to me to this day, cause I'm still one of the newer, you know, preschool mm-hmm. SLPs that we've got and, and still have like, when you look at the years of experience compared to other people, which is not good to do that to compare. No, but when you look at it, I'm still fairly new to the game, um, even though it's been a few years, but she still will remind me like, you know, and then she's always encouraging me like, take a grad student, have an intern, like, you know, cause she's like, they, they bring really great information. I'm like, I know. And that's one of my goals now. It's like, now I want to, like, I want to soak in that information again, you know, cause I feel like there's probably so many things now after four years, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know the newest stuff. I, I do my CEUs, but you don't always get what they're getting in grad school. Um, so yeah, so grad students, you're awesome in CFYs. Yeah, you, you know more than you think you know. I do. Um, okay, so I'm going to go into my next question here because uh, it's, well, it's October and I'm finally four years into therapy, speech therapy. I'm finally do, doing my themes. Um, I'm so proud of myself. Woohoo. <laughs> I, I have, that has been a struggle of mine speaking, you know, speaking of being like, you know, having the newest and the freshest information. One of my biggest things is like, I don't, I realized I don't 
maybe it's just because I had so many other things to think about in the first few years of being a speech pathologist that I'm like, now I got to figure out how to plan for like themed therapy. Um, but this year I'm, I've got it down. I'm like, I'm doing all my pumpkins and all my fall things, all my apples, all my Halloween stuff. And like, just actually like doing it versus like, okay, maybe we'll read this story today, the, the five little pumpkins or whatever. So it's good. Um, and after, you know, especially being on Instagram a lot and seeing like all of you who do use a lot of themes and really just, I mean, you use them and you talk about them, but you're also like, they, there's a reason for them. Um, I, just, I mean, I want you to share that, I guess. Just why, why themed therapy? Why is it, especially for little ones, but really it could go across the board all the way to adults using themes. Why um, is that so beneficial for them? So there's, um, there's a lot of research about themes and a lot of them show that, you know, with preschoolers, children with autism, bilingual children, um, adults recovering from TBI or stroke, any brain injury, that um, it's easier to relearn or learn new vocabulary and build neurological connections within a taxonomy or a theme. Um, so if you're, even if it's the same core words with a preschooler or um, you know, clothing items with an adult, if you're providing that within a theme, they're more likely to remember that because of the context and because it's all kind of within that little sphere of whatever you're doing, if it's fall or Halloween. Um, there's also a lot of research about um, like uh, vocabulary learning with repeated exposure. So if you're doing a theme, I usually do a theme for a month. I know a lot of people do it for a week or two weeks, but it is a lot of planning. So I, I make it last a month. That's how I cheat. Um, but if they're getting that repeated exposure, then, you know, go back to your grad school days and neuroplasticity and how frequency is greater than duration. The more frequently they're hearing these words or getting exposure to these concepts, then the greater they are, they're going to learn it. Um, so there's a lot of research that supports themes. Um, I think what people get intimidated by is like you were saying on Instagram and all of it, it can get very out of hand. Um, and so I kind of just compare it to like decorating for Christmas. If you do that, um, there's always that person who has like a million lights outside their house and five Christmas trees and, you know, they have three Christmas parties. And then there's the person who just has a tree and some stockings. They're both celebrating Christmas. They're just doing it a different way. You don't have to be this person with all of the lights. You can be the simple person. Um, and so themes can be done very in a very simple way that is not time-consuming um, and still be very effective and research-based. Yeah. And and like you said, we all will do it in a different way. I'm, I've said it and I'll say it again. I am not the Pinterest SLP. I can't, I, and I, it's so funny because like, I think people are tired of me saying it, but <laughs> I, I get overwhelmed. I, that's just what happens. I go on Pinterest. I look through a few things. I'm like, okay, no, like it's, there's a lot, it's such good information. And for those, you know, those SLPs or teachers who can use Pinterest and like plan their whole lesson, it's so awesome. But I just get so overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm just going to do my own thing. We're just going to make pumpkins and be, be happy. But there is so much you can do with, with so little, you can also do a lot with a lot. It's not, um, <clears throat> not to say that you can't, but you know, I've learned like, I only need like maybe two songs throughout the month. And, and I'm like you where I have to do, I plan for the month because 
One, I mean, that repetition, especially with the age that I work with, they, it's so good. I've actually been dealing with some imposter syndrome lately because I'm like, now that I have teletherapy and parents sitting there, I'm like, they're going to they're gonna think that I'm so lazy. Um, <laughs> That's funny. You know, they're like, why is she doing yeah. this story again? But I have my you know, I have the, the evidence behind it and I have the way that I do it. Like, you know, one day we're just going to read the story about the pumpkins and then we're going to come back. I'm going to read it and then we're going to do our WH questions. And then, you know, it's just like every week it kind of builds on the other um, and then we'll sequence it out or whatever. So I hope that the parents are like seeing that it's, it's changing little by little, but the exposure and the input that those children are getting as far as vocabulary goes, um, is so valuable and the repetition is like it's what helps them and um why we see the the you know the success of it uh so i do i do love that but sorry Um, yeah a new thing that no you're good you're fine um a new thing that i've kind of gotten into this year is the embedded speech sound practice which was not something that i had learned really about in grad school and some people are familiar with it some people aren't Um, but it's where you do speech sound practice within the context of, of shared book reading. Um, and that, that I have noticed is so much more engaging for my kids and it makes themed therapy so much easier because you just pick a book and some little manipulatives. So like last week, all of my speech sessions, um, we picked a book and I would find target words in the book and we would go over them to start off with. And then, Um, as we went through, you know, they would find the word and we would practice it and then we would go back and find the word again. And we're getting at least a hundred, um, um, I forgot the word, a (laughs) hundred drills, trials. Thank you. A hundred trials, um, for all their targets, but there it's in a book and it's not this very arbitrary context of a four-year-old sitting in front of you, you know, having to say words over and over again, it's, it's fun and it's engaging and there's research to support that meaningful context helps with carryover and generalization of that word outside of the speech room. So um, books are my favorite tool for themed therapy. It, oh, it's yeah. the easiest way to plan things is just to pick a book. I hundred percent agree. And then, you know, just like to give some ideas for other SLPs too, if you pick like one or two books for, you know, fall themes and then one or two books for winter, one or two, like, and go by the seasons I've learned. And that's kind of what I'm doing this year is then there's all these, I mean, there's always like different songs you can sing too. Cause in preschool, I mean, we do a lot. It's just like read, sing and, and play. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's, so there's so many ways you can do that. And then like, if you're a craft person, which I'm trying to get better about. Again, I'm not, and that's, that's just, I don't do, I'm not crafty, um, but I do, you know, I, they're so valuable with the kids. Cause then you read a story about pumpkins and then you can, you know, cut out orange paper and make a pumpkin and talk about, you know, the life cycle of a pumpkin. I, I use a lot of speech room news stuff and she, um, has like a little book on the life, like the, like you plant the seed and then you do, you know, you go through all these steps so you can use that story all month long yeah, and then do a craft at the end and make your pumpkin and take it home. And, um, one thing I'm getting better about that I learned from my friend, Allison, who I, she's my colleague and friend, but you know, we'll send home like whatever craft they did. We send it home with 
yes, no questions or WH questions on the back. That way we can have the parents kind of, you know, because, you know, they always ask, well, did you make that at school? Did you make it in speech? And sometimes those questions are hard for the little ones. And so we give them the questions so they can continue working on that stuff um, when they go home, when they're sharing about their craft. So it just kind of takes it a step further and makes it really easy because then you just have those questions. You use them every year (laughs) during that theme. Yeah. um, it helps with the generalization at the same time. And, and, yeah. you know, I don't take data on it, but they're getting those repetitions and those trials again at home. So yeah, it, it can actually be, and like, I love that because I love using books and therapy. Um, and it, it does, it makes it, it's like working harder or working smarter, not harder. Um, exactly. But yeah. It's also, yeah. It's also evidence. Yeah. And Go ahead. Yeah. And the, um, I'm sorry, I was kind of like, you're, you you're fine. Um, um, the, the idea of using the book is kind of what had fueled, uh, the, the resource that I just, uh, created. And it was, a, it's a one page bookmark for using one book for your theme and targeting all your goals. And I really think a lot of people, you get into this niche of thinking, well, we have to sit down and read the book and then ask questions about it. And that's all we can do. You can do so much more with books. Like you were saying, you can make a craft later, or you can talk about the images and never even read the book and do describing or categories. You can do emotions. Um, there's so much you can do with books that isn't language-based or speech or well, language-based, but you know what I'm saying? Um, like social, pragmatics, things like that, that aren't just strictly WH questions or crowd prompts or speech sound targets. Um, yeah. You can do so much with it and really just pick a book and maybe one toy or craft. I'm also not very crafty in speech therapy. I'm right. crafty outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like craft sometimes can get carried away a little bit with some of my kids that um, they can be a little independent with their craft and they don't, you know, want to, if, if I want to make it a following directions activity, it's like, well, right. I don't want it to look like that. I want it to look this way or something. Um, so crafts are hard for me to do in therapy. That's a new thing that I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, I have a the other speech therapist in my clinic. She is, she is completely type B and I'm very type A and she does crafts. And I was like, you do crafts? I was so shocked. And she's like, cause it's so easy. Um, and yeah. so I'm trying to take a, trying to take a lesson from her and you, yeah. um, and try to do crafts more. Yeah. No, they, they are good, but I, you know what my thing is, I struggle with time management of the craft. I think that's what the yep. main thing is. It's like, and it's so funny. I did a little, a cute little rainbow craft with them last year. I thought, cause last year I was like, okay, the year of the crafts, I'm going to do this. It didn't work out very well, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I started, I was like, okay, we're going to do a rainbow craft at the beginning of the year and they're all going to make the rainbows. We're going to hang them on the wall. And then we're going to do like the next, like after two months, we'll do a taco. We'll make a taco. Um, those tacos, by the way, are still hanging on my wall in my speech room. I never, <laughs> never forgot to send them home. And then, you know, and then we did snowmen. It was just like, and then I had tacos hanging with snowmen in January and people were laughing at me. But I was like, hey, that's, that's my speech room. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, and, but it's like, I remember doing the rainbow and <laughs> Bless my little heart back then. I'm like, I rem- I think I was so, I had so much, uh, I was so ambitious with it because I got, I got, you know, the little uh, tissue paper and they were going to glue the tissue paper um, 
it just became like this huge messy thing. I couldn't organize mm-hmm. like all the colors, the colors kept getting mixed up. And then I'd run out of red and I'd bring the next group in and say, well, we're going to use pink. And, uh, you know, me being like, eh, it doesn't matter. I forget like some of these kids, like they're like, no, the, that one has red. I want red on mine. And I had some, <laughs> you know, just some struggles with that to, you know, like trying to tear up red construction paper. And then it just, and then some kids, they'd be done so fast. I'd be like, well, we don't have like we still have 20 or 10 minutes left. Like, oh no, <laughs> it's just supposed to be a whole thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're good. Like when you can get like the requesting in and I love seeing kind of what, you know, we did the snowman one was really great because we could work on body parts and we could, and it was directly taken from the story that we did about building a snowman. Um, so they, you know, we go through the sequence. So I think it's, it works if you like, again, if you have that story to kind of relate it to and to always have out and go back to, to talk about things, talk about those yes, no questions. But if you're like me, you're like, well, I have, you know, we have colors. They're going to choose their color and we're going to make a rainbow. And I I kind of lost sight of all the language that I should be using, I guess. So, and then, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's a learning curve for me. I'll, I'm trying to get better at it, but um, it does, it does work out well when you end that theme and then they have something to take home or, you know, just tangible to say, I did this. Um, they do show some pride in it. So that's really cool. Yeah. Last year I tried to do all the crafts and all the fun stuff. And I think I was trying to do what a lot of people do and be like, I want to do all the themed therapy. So we wanted to read a book and use this themed book companion that I'd got on teachers pay teachers and then use this themed thing. And then we're going to paint a pumpkin and we're going to do all of this in 30 minutes. And that was not attainable at all. And then kids were getting crazy because everyone in the clinic was doing it and someone made a sonic pumpkin so I want to make a black panther pumpkin and I want to make a superman pumpkin and now we have to print things out and this is getting out of control and we're not we're not painting pumpkins ever again in our clinic because that got so out of control um but yeah I think so I had that in my mind this year thinking about that okay I need to make this simpler this year and start off just very very simple and add things as I feel more comfortable doing it instead of trying yeah. to do a zillion things in 30 minutes. It's just not attainable, especially not when you work with kids um, and they're going to come up with their own agenda. Like you said, you know, wanting red instead of pink. Well, now we can't do this because I don't have red, you know? <laughs> right. I, and yeah. And you forget like it's any, but any, any individual could be very like set in their ways or rigid. But I think sometimes I forget like, preschoolers that age, like the routines mean so much to them and they're so helpful for them. And so the rigidity sometimes that I forget about, and part of it is because I don't have my own kids. Um, so I don't see that every day or I didn't experience it as maybe a mom, but another, you know, so I'm like, yeah, no, they'll be fine. They're preschoolers. Eh, they're resilient. And they, they totally are. But in the moment, sometimes it can cause real concern for them. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and like you said, and sometimes like, I, I think we're going to get, like I said, I was ambitious and I think we're going to get all this done and then we don't finish. And I'm like, okay, it's okay. We'll finish next time. Some of the kids are like, no, I want to finish it right now. I want it to be all done. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. You said I... we were going to do all these things. You had this visual schedule. Yeah, we exactly. didn't do all these things. Exactly. Like, we, we'll just rip the visual schedule and forget the rest of it was there this is what we did right take off the velcro just no this is yeah, all just just pull it off look no this is all we were gonna do yeah the rest it, of, it was never there oh man yeah there it's it's a fun age it really is <laughs> yeah. But yeah yeah it, it's it's like you said you just 
you learn and then you're like, okay, now this year I'm just gonna, I'm going to simplify it. And, and I think that's, um, that's good to go into talking about, because I definitely want to talk about, you know, tips for grad students or clinical fellows going into a pediatric setting and maybe um, thinking about like, (laughs) well, all of the things that um, we might tell them, but I think a really great tip is like, go easy on yourself. You know, if you want to do all of these things, that's great. And if you try it and you're like, oh no, I was too ambitious. I was too ambitious with my crafts or whatever. It's okay. There's next month or there's next year or whatever to figure out, okay, how can I make this easier on myself, easier on the clients, um, and, and more fun for, for all of us. Um, yeah. So what are your top tips, I guess, for, um, CFYs or grad students that are interested in pediatrics, or even if they aren't, but they're like listening to this and, and you give them some tips as far as maybe an internship or something. Yeah. So my, my biggest thing is like we talked about earlier, you know, more than you think, you know, you really do. Um, You are the only one in the room who knows how much experience you have and don't underestimate the experience you have because it was in the context of school. That's still experience. You were still there. You learned Um, You've been deemed competent and qualified to be in this room, then that's how you should carry yourself in that room. Um, I think everyone thinks that your CFY, you're going to sink or swim. I don't know anyone who's ever sunk during their CFY. You're going to swim. Just give yourself enough grace to learn how um, and just give yourself room to grow and forgive yourself. Like you were saying, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You'll learn along the way. Just, just say, okay, I'll do better next time or I'll change it this time. Um, and I think the benefit of working with kids is that kids can be very forgiving because they don't always know what the plan was unless you tell them. Um, so they don't know what your goals were for that session or anything. They just know if they had fun or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and if parents are there, you know, you can just, they have kids, these are their children. So they understand when you say, okay, this did not go the way I wanted it to. Um, I've had those moments before of like, okay, this is, I'm sorry, this was a train wreck. This is not how it's supposed to go. And they're like, eh, it's a Tuesday for me. You know, like parents are very forgiving if you work with kids because it's, they're their kids. They know what they're like. They know. And sometimes I've had parents be like, yeah, I knew that wasn't going to go well, but I wasn't going to tell you. Um, so yeah, I think working with kids, just the bit, another thing is just to get to know your patients' families um, because if you want them to do home programs and follow your guidance and do all those things, they need to trust you. And they may not do that right off the gate. Um, and it has nothing to do with you being young or new. It's just, you're a new person that, and maybe they've never heard of speech therapy before, or maybe you're the speech therapist and you're doing feeding and they're not quite sure how you're qualified to do that, you know? And so it's a whole new concept for them. You have to build that rapport and that trust with them if you want them to, do what you're asking them to do and um, participate in any kind of home program. Yeah. And um, it's that trust is just so essential to, Mm -hmm. because you're providing a safe place. Even if you're going into the home, you're providing a safe environment for learning. um, And, you know, I've learned it, it sometimes takes time you know, I had a student last year who came in, I mean, he's, he was three and he had, um, nonverbal, very, um, like very sensory. 
just some just different than I'd ever seen as far as sensory uh Dif- not, I don't want to say difficulties, but like challenges. Cause like he was very sensory seeking, but like in a minute it had, it was too much. Like, and I'd never seen that before with a lot of different things too. And so being in this loud, cause preschool can be loud, you know, if they're in a classroom, um, a loud environment with all these different, he had lots of services. So he, you know, would have OT coming in, then I would pull him for speech in a day and then, you know, and all these things. And, um, it took, three months in, you know, to really build that rapport and, and make him help him feel safe in us. Cause we have to learn about their environment too. It's not just us trying to, you know, okay, we're going to turn the lights down. We're going to put calming music on and all this stuff. It's like, well, what, like looking at the child, how can I like, what is it that they actually need? And what is it that they're trying to tell me with, with those sensory seeking behaviors or different things? Um, and so that trust might take some time, but it's so essential. And so if you're just spending three months building that trust, you know, that's, that's where you, you are. And that's great. Um, and parents see that, you know, they, they see that, you know, I don't work directly with parents. I do now. Um, and, uh, it's been interesting because now I'm about two months in with teletherapy. Yeah. Ish. And, um, you know, I'm starting to feel that we've built that trust and it's taken some time with some of my new kids that were just starting out and we're all in this computer together. Um, but it's, it's been really cool to have those connections kind of get a little bit more solid in the last couple of weeks and be like, you know, if I could feel the parents just like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, they, they feel like their involvement is, is a good thing. And it's not, you know, it's not scary anymore. Um, and the kids are, the kids are kind of, sometimes they're like out of the honeymoon phase, but we like, we have the trust now to where, you know, they're, they're kind of silly and everything, but the parents don't feel like it's, um, it's a negative thing. You know, we can play off of that and, and they're a little bit more trusting of our environment too. So it's just really cool once you get that and it takes time. Um, mm-hmm. and then what, what would, yeah. you, Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're oh, fine. I was going to say one of my favorite questions to ask, especially for pediatrics, because, you know, I have, I'm, I'm in a school, I have all the materials I need. I can order whatever I need. I keep them all hidden, um, from the kids, but, um, <laughs> I've heard this and I want to hear your perspective on it, you know, time and time again about, uh, not worrying. And you kind of said it earlier, like, don't worry, you don't need all, all the things. Um, because I think I remember being a CF, like, what do I order? Where do I go? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> here's my Amazon wish list. Um, and, and teachers pay teachers, which is, they're all great resources, but you know, I, I spent so much money on teachers pay teachers my CF year and I didn't use half of what I bought. Um, so, and you, you mentioned, I love that the FOBS, the FOBS, I think that that is such, Mm -hmm. you know, having four or five toys that are a staple, but, um, do you have any other like tips as far as, um, you know, getting materials as, as you get to know your kids? Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. When I started my CFY, I knew I, I had purchased just a few things in grad school off teachers, pay teachers. So I, but I knew, how much was there. And that was kind of overwhelming for me of Mm -hmm. like, well, what do I choose? And what do I need? And I'm afraid I'm going to end up spending too much money and not using things. So I spent about a month after I graduated before I had started working of just kind of researching, 
looking at speech therapists on Instagram, looking on teachers, pay teachers and trying to find staple materials. And I think I do have a post on my Instagram on staple materials. Um, but you just need to find some, if you want to go in feeling prepared, go in with some that have a lot of goals you can target. Um, don't buy niche materials. Um, I know like an example I give sometimes is when I started, I didn't have anything to target pronouns with. And I didn't have any kids who had pronoun goals until I was six months in. So then I went and looked for something to use for, to target pronouns. So if those kids had never showed up, I may have gone months without ever using that if I had bought it ahead of time, or it may not have been what my kids needed. I may have bought that and then been like, well, this isn't going to work for my kids. So just wait until you meet your caseload and see what goals they're going to have. I think a lot of times we make assumptions, even as speech therapists, of, well, we're going to do a lot of Arctic and a lot of WH questions and things like that. I didn't have kids with WH questions for maybe three months. Um, so just wait until you meet your kids and get what you need as you meet them. But don't go crazy and also get to know your setting and find out if they'll purchase stuff for you. So there were, um, we had a few kids, somehow clusters come in with the same diagnosis in our clinic. It's very interesting how it happens, but we got about four kids all at one time that had central auditory processing disorder. And we were like, okay, we got to figure out what to do oh, with wow. these kids. And all of the audiologists had recommended Hear Builder from Super Duper. And it's, I can't, I can't remember. It was over a hundred dollars. And so we were able to ask our clinic to buy that. Um, and I knew they would do that because I had waited and found that out. So just get to know your setting too and know what you can and can't get purchased and decide, well, is this something I feel like I need to take with me if I left this job or would I be okay with it belonging to them and just using it for now? Um, just wait, don't get in a big hurry. Yeah. I think that's such a good point about, <clears throat> like I remember when I started out, nobody told me we had a SLP budget for materials. I don't know how I missed that, but I was like ready to buy. I did buy, I bought my own pop the pig, um, which is probably one of those things I'll want anyways. So it's, it worked out, you know, but I didn't know what to do and I hadn't tapped into the SLP Instagram community yet. Um, so bummer there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I have quite a handful. Luckily, you know, my mom, uh, she was a preschool teacher before I was even born. And so she had a lot of, because she knew to save her, like our toys from when we were little. So I also had things like, um, different books and puzzles and things, but, uh, I didn't know. So like I said, I spent money on teachers, pay teachers and, um, and didn't really wait. Um, and so I think that's a good, it's a, that's a really good idea as far as waiting to see what your, what your company or your whatever will help you, uh, get because then you can test out materials basically for free too. Like I have things at school that I've, that my district has purchased. So I know, um, you know, like, Oh, if I ever am on my own, I'm going to buy this, but I didn't have to buy it and learn about it and, and kind of, you know, use my own money yet for that. So, um, it's kind of cool. And I have things that I will never buy because I'm like, Nope, don't like using this probably. I'll admit it. I will never buy board maker. Um, I'll probably look into something else, you know, like, but I use it because yeah. my district has it and it is helpful and great, but I'll probably, I'll probably look into something else. I'll just, you know, say that right now. Um, it just, it's not, it's not as user-friendly for me personally as I would like, but anyway, yeah. we tried it out too. And it, we 
we didn't choose board maker either. <laughs> yeah. There, you know, there's plenty <laughs> of other, our clinic was going to purchase a subscription to something um, yeah. because we were purchasing go talks and stuff to have mm -hmm. um, North Carolina when they were going to go to this managed care model. And because of that, we were going to lose our state AAC funding where they will come out and do the test and get the device for you. And so then you as a speech therapist don't even have to do that assessment. And they stopped doing that. So we're like, well, we're going to have to, we have to have all these things to yeah. do these assessments. Um, so we were going to purchase something and we, we chose not to get board maker either, but yeah. But if I hadn't talked to my, our clinic administrators and stuff, I would have felt that was on my shoulders to go by, go talk. Right. And, all these things. Um, and that's totally not on your shoulders, you know? So even if you don't know, if you've been working there for months and you don't know, like you said, you didn't know, just go ask someone. Yeah. Um, it never hurts to ask because the worst thing they're going to say is no. Okay. Exactly. Then make a plan then, you know? Exactly. But, but always, I think that's a great, great way to end it. It's like, ask first, advocate for what you need, be assertive. And, and if they say no, you know, maybe it's not in the budget right now, whatever. Okay, great. And then you talk with your, your team of SLPs or whoever it is and make a plan then. But so important to, to see what, what you can be helped with and what support you'll get first. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And with the TPT materials, there's a lot out there. And I feel like there's a lot of similar things too. Like I know for a given book, I can think of three sellers who have a companion for that. Right. Um, and so take your time, look, sometimes they're different. They include different things. So that, that comes into that piece of knowing your caseload too. Well, what goals am I going to target with this? Well, this seller has those goals and this one doesn't. So I'm going to buy it from this seller. Um, reach out to those sellers and ask them, you know, what was their intention for that? Um, or talk to, you know, if you know someone on Instagram like me, or I know Shelby, the SLP, we have yeah. a lot of TPT materials. You can say, well, which one would you recommend? Yeah. Um, before you go buy all of them and then you're not going to use all of them. You're not. Exactly. You've spent a lot of money and then there are a lot to prep. It's a lot of prep involved in TPT materials. So yeah, that's a really good, really good, um, uh front loading piece. Like you're gonna, you're gonna need time to prep all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's all great things, but, um, I love that you pointed out Shelby too, cause I've talked to her about things when I have questions and a lot of, you know, you guys who do have amazing TPT stores, you've created materials. And I think that's something that sometimes we forget about, like you've created materials based on your, your clients, like what you've needed in those moments. And so if I have a student who's severely apraxic um, and, you know, I see that you have something for uh, syllables, maybe I'll reach out to you first and say, hey, would, would this be appropriate for this kid? This is, you know, maybe, maybe give you a little idea of what goal I'm actually working towards because maybe you're like, well, I think it might be, you know, a little bit too challenging right now for him or whatever. Um, so I think that's a really good piece of advice, you know, because I will say, I always say this too, but uh, our SLP community on Instagram, like responds, <laughs> you can, you can yeah. message yeah. any of us and we will respond. And I, you know, don't see that on Instagram, um, with other communities. So it's definitely something to keep in mind and just ask. Yeah. I think that's, that's, I think a reason that I own so many TPT materials and I don't buy from larger corporations that sell uh, therapy materials is because there's a person behind that, you know, like they created that for their kids and they 
are putting it out there in hopes that it will help other children and other therapists. And you, you can, you can ask them, you can't email, you know, super duper and say, I have this kid was this, would this work for them, but you can message a TPT seller and say that, you know, would this help? And even if they, if theirs won't, they might have an idea of another seller they're friends with that has another product or something yeah. that can lead you in the right direction. So yeah, the SLB community on Instagram is, is like no other. And I, I really love it. The connections that I have made from being there has just been amazing. I know. I couldn't agree more. It's so awesome. And I mean, on that note, I'm just so grateful you're here and we could connect and share all the great things that you have um, with, with the listeners. Somebody asked for you to be on the podcast. I can't remember who, but um, I just thought I was like, yeah, that's such a good idea. Cause you know, I'm, um, I'm constantly like, I'm asking for that because I don't, I don't, I, I connect with all of you guys, but then I'm like, who, um, who have they been connecting with that really would resonate with them? So I was so excited to get, to get to have you on here. Um, and, and I'm super grateful. So thank you, Tiffany. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Um, I, I can't believe that you asked me, I was very surprised and very excited. Um, but whoever asked for me to be on here, I'm so grateful. Yeah. Um, I just hope anything that I've said today can help someone and just make anyone feel more equipped or empowered to do what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, I definitely, I mean, even I, I'm like, I feel like, yes, like I can, you know, I can, um, be assertive and ask for what I need now. I just, it's always so good to have those reminders, no matter where you're at in your career. Friends, thank you so much for listening. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me for this wonderful conversation and sharing your story and sharing a bit of motivation and inspiration for us, um, especially those of us who have been in teletherapy for quite a while now, just keeping us uh, inspired and creative. Friends, you can find Tiffany over at The Speech Tribe on Instagram that is linked in the podcast notes, as well as her website. You can also find me on Instagram at thanksmorris. Uh, Feel free to DM me if you want to come on the podcast or nominate anybody or have any questions that you'd like answered on a podcast. You can also find me over at thanksmorris.com where there is a page dedicated to this podcast. And, uh, you know, you can fill out some information and connect with me that way. All right, friends, I hope you're having a beautiful Tuesday or whatever day it is of the week that you're listening to this. Be safe, be kind, be the best you. That's what I always tell my students. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye.